0: Welcome to the Adelaide Living Podcast, where we share the stories of the city. Adelaide is a city shaped by stories, those of the traditional owners of the land and of our increasingly diverse community. Each story is unique, but what links them is the place of Adelaide, a city designed for life. So join us as we uncover inspiring stories of the people of Adelaide. Jim
1: Wally calls himself an accidental entrepreneur, and certainly the former Air Force fighter pilot didn't dream of startups and innovation hubs while growing up in Melbourne. So let's hear Jim's story, find out what brought him to Adelaide, and how he's helping imaginative minds take their ideas global as South Australia's first chief entrepreneur.
2: I spent you know, the best part of my life in the military, uh, so straight out of school in uh, Melbourne. I was uh, uh, off at boarding school not far from Melbourne. My wife claims that time from the age of 11 in boarding school and subsequently in the military, uh, that institutionalisation accounts for a lot of my behavioural characteristics. Uh, but anyway, straight out of school into the Air Force Academy down at Point Cook in Victoria, did two years there. Then they decided to shut down the Air Force Academy and create the Australian Defence Force Academy, so I went there. Then I learned to fly with the Air Force uh, in Melbourne and over in Pearce and then subsequently ended up all over the country, uh, culminated in um, three years in the Northern Territory mm-hmm. uh, at a place called uh, Catherine uh, and what was the air, well, what is the Air Force uh, uh, base at Tyndall. And then I was um, uh, selected for test pilot school in the UK, so I went to a place called Boscombe Down, just north of Salisbury in the UK, And I spent a year flying all sorts of weird and wonderful things, which was absolutely fantastic fun. And then uh, as a result of becoming a test pilot, after having been a fighter pilot flying F-18s, I was um, sent to Edinburgh, to Adelaide, the Air Force Base at Edinburgh, to the Aircraft Research and Development Unit, where I ended up as the senior F-18 test pilot, which was great fun, doing all sorts of... Uh, again with wonderful things with F eighteens and you know occasionally doing things like clips or fly pass and those sorts of things.
1: Oh so you're one of the people who's done those amazing fly
2: pass. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic fun.
1: Do you do you have time to see a view or are you we can, frankly, we can just the, a little bit the, busy concentrating? You,
2: you're concentrating on not hitting cranes and uh skyscrapers. Are you that low? You're reasonably low. So you're you're down below the level of the Westpac building. So uh you've got to keep an eye out on what you're doing. The Air Force was fortunate enough to have, you know, um, obviously uh, we get clearances to do things that most other pilots probably can't do, but, you know, we trained for that and uh, that's all part of the job. But anyway, so that was great fun and um, during that period of time I met an Adelaide girl and um, she obviously, because I was a young, good-looking fighter pilot, fell fell hopelessly in love with me. And And that's um, your story. And pursued me relentlessly. She'll be listening to this later and she'll probably call in. She won't be able to call in after a podcast, will she? It's not talkback, thank God for that. Anyway, the, um, the result of that was that uh, it became a point of choose wife or choose Air Force. And Whilst I'd been in the Northern Territory at Tyndall, I started doing a Master's in Business Administration because I thought if I was ever going to be the Chief of Air Force one day, um, you know, having an MBA would be useful and there weren't too many fighter pilots that had MBAs. Uh, so I started doing that when I came back after I'd done test part school. I, I came Where'd back. You do it? I did it actually through Deakin because I was in the Northern Territory. Sure. I did it through Open and Learning. Yeah. Uh, so I started it there. But when I came back, um, moved over to the University of Adelaide, which I absolutely loved. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think the education I got um, at the University of Adelaide was um, second to none. Was yeah. absolutely brilliant. And I, one of the, you know just as a slight digression, I think one of the, the things that we are. Gifted within this state is just some really, really good tertiary institutions, and I've trained, you know, in the UK with the Royal Air Force, with people from all over the world. I've spent a fair bit of time at Harvard Business School on an executive education program, and at various institutions. and I am um, very, very pleased to say that the the quality of the education I think we get in South Australia and in Australia more generally is um, is world class and second to none. So. Anyway, did all that and uh, anyway, having met uh, Melinda and um, uh, her falling in love with me and me having fallen in love with her, she had um, uh, three kids from her first marriage so she wasn't going anywhere so it was choose wife or choose Air Force and so I was thinking about what sort of job I was going to do and uh, I was talking to one of my... Uh, professors. After I graduated, I sort of kept in contact with several of them and still do. And uh, I said, look, i uh, an Air Force pilot. I'm a test pilot. Uh, which company in Adelaide is going to have the great good fortune to employ me? And uh, he said, no one's going to give you a job. And I said, what do you mean? He said, all you're capable of doing is dropping bombs on people and shooting airplanes out of the sky. I said, right, thanks. And uh, I'd done an entrepreneurship Course with him, uh, and that's another interesting story. But at the end of the course, I'd done it because of one of my study groups had said we should go and do this, and I said, "Sure, what's entrepreneurship?" This was of...
1: through the MBA, yeah, through yeah. the MBA.
2: I said, uh, and they said, "I said, to them what's entrepreneurship and how do you spell it?" And uh, they said, "Don't worry, just come and do it with us." So we did, and then we the final assignment, the first assignment had been a group assignment, and we came up with some great idea about um, sticking large frozen tubes up the bums of tuna to get them to uh, market in Japan. But the, the second assignment was a individual assignment. And I went to my professor at the end and I said, look, you know, I'm in an Air Force uniform, as you can see. Um, I'm going to be the chief of the Air Force one day. Could I just have another Harvard Business School case study? Because I'm only here because my friends are here. I'm not really an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, no, Jim, I want you to think of something. And I came back the next week and uh, I said, oh, look, professor, I've been trying my hardest but still can't think of anything. Just give me another Harvard Business School case study. He said, "Jim, you don't get it. It's an entrepreneurship course. Think of a business or fail." Um, So, I sort of realised that maybe I needed to be a little less thick. And I wrote a business plan about a company that was providing independent engineering services to defence. And this,
1: I believe, then became the start
2: of Nova Systems. Of Nova Nova Systems, Systems, which
1: you've based in Adelaide. Yes. And Nova Systems, if you can encapsulate that whole massive business into
2: few words. Okay, so we've got a workforce sort of um, uh, approaching about 700 now. We operate companies in the UK, in Ireland, in Norway, in Singapore, in New Zealand. We have people in Europe, we have people in the US. And this is all from an Adelaide HQ? All from Adelaide HQ um, with offices all over Australia, obviously, and and the rest of the world. Basically, we're Australia's largest privately owned defence company. So, uh, yeah, we've, despite the incompetence of senior management, the company has done reasonably well.
1: I think senior management's done a very good job. So, So from there, that background, test pilot, mm-hmm. jet fighter, and entrepreneur with your own business and MBA, the leap to chief entrepreneur.
2: Uh, Entirely accidental. I was – You have
1: referred to yourself as an accidental entrepreneur. I
2: I am an accidental entrepreneur and I think, you know, it's a good definition because I'm I'm, I'm accidentally an entrepreneur because, you know, I met an Adelaide girl and I needed a job. Um, not because I wanted to start a business. Um, now, having said that, it worked out reasonably well in the mm. end. And all my compatriots who are now sort of at uh, that level of the air force, I'm sure would be make, make will make much better chiefs of air force than I ever would. But I, uh, you know, it was an accident for me, uh, but a uh, you know a very fortuitous one. Uh, and um, I stepped down as CEO of Nova in 2016, mid 2016, and I actually said to the chief operating officer, a guy named Greg Hume, who was going to take over from me, I said, Greg, you know, do you want to take over and run the company because I'm still the major shareholder? And he said, would love to. And I said, right, um, well, let's plan for you to do that in mid-2016. And I said to him, look, when you do that, I will leave the country um, just so people know you are running out and yeah. they don't think I'm sort of influencing things and um, and I'll step down from the board. And I did. So I moved to, uh, to France and we um, – uh, so we lived in Paris for six months, sent the cool kids to school there. And it was a good age for them as well to get see something a little bit different. I stepped down from the board of Nova. Um, so Greg was able to stamp his mark on things. And it was a very conscious decision to say to not only Greg but to the next generation of people in the organisation that whilst it's a private company, it's not a family company, it's a meritocracy, and you know I wasn't going to be there forever and that people had a career in the organisation and that they could be CEO of, you know, different parts of the business and CEO of the group if they wanted to in the future. And I think that sent a really clear message that, you know, we wanted people that had aspirations and wanted careers and were ambitious and worked out very well. And, and you know, I'm pleased to say that, you know, the year I left, um, we were turning over, you know, just under $100 million in mid-2016 and, you know, um, Greg, under his leadership, um, will probably do about $240 million this year, we hope. So, you know, that, that's been a really, really good decision. Anyway, I came back uh, after six months. Came back and took on a role, just doing a um, a couple of days in uh, the company a week, a bit of consulting, a little bit of test flying, um, a little bit of mentoring. Uh, I was talking to the premier in um, in uh, two thousand and eighteen, uh, and just after he'd been elected, and he was saying to me, Jim, um, I've got a, a an idea about you know how how we sort of you know achieve some of the targets we're setting ourselves and you know increasing. A GSP by uh, a gross state product by 3%. And, um, you know, I think we're doing some really, really good things in technology and innovation and defence and, you know, things like space and all those sorts of things. And I said, Premier, I totally agree. Um, but he said, you know, we just don't seem to be able to get the economic benefit out of it, which I agreed with as well. And I think this is a problem we've had, you know, in Australia um, and specifically in South Australia that we do some really, really great innovation, some really good technology, but we don't get the commercial returns from it. Uh, and so part of that conversation was about the fact that you know um, innov- innovation uh, plus commercialisation in very simple terms equals entrepreneurship. So if we're going to get create jobs, if we 're going to create great companies and uh, if we're going to get economic benefit, we need to be using those innovations and turning them into uh, companies and commercial reality and that was that was what entrepreneurship was all about
1: and that's where your background slots in perfectly.
2: Yeah, well, to a good degree, I guess yes. Uh, and so that was the, um, the beginning of, uh, I guess, the, uh, you know, the role as Chief Entrepreneur. There was an office of the South Australian Chief Entrepreneur that was already created. Uh, and so we've got a really, really good team. Um, we work in the um, uh, Department of Innovation and Skills in DIS with uh, Minister David Pisoni, who again is a really, really great supporter and obviously great support from the Premier as well. Uh, and uh, we've grown from there. We've developed strategies about how we're going to increase entrepreneurship in the state. And the, the great thing is that, you know, we're, we're already on the way. Um, you know, there are global scales for um, South Australia, for, um, you know, entrepreneurial cities and bits and pieces like that. Um, you know, we've jumped up uh, several dozen rungs in many of those scales. Um, I think we are getting real visibility of um, South Australia as a centre for entrepreneurship, not only across the, the nation, but across the world. You know, I operate and still travel a lot overseas. And what's really nice is people talking about Adelaide and South Australia and say, hey, what's going on there? We hear all this stuff about space. You know, you've got the Space Agency there. You've got the Australian Institute of Machine Learning. You've got all these really, really great technology institutions and um, organisations and uh, it sounds like there's some really interesting stuff going on there and there is. It's a really, really exciting time I think for the state.
1: It is an exciting time and you're right about the recognition because I think I heard you say tell the story of the um, student from New South Wales who said, Mum, I've got to leave Sydney.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Which would
1: have sort of gone across Sydney's usual view of the world, Sydney-centric somewhat, that uh, I have to go to Adelaide because I want to be with space?
2: One of the things I really love about space, and I was involved with um, with several others uh, in bringing the International Astronautical Conference to Adelaide in 2017, and that's when we started pushing for the development, the creation of an Australian Space Agency. And then, when the creation of the agency was announced, then we started pushing towards uh, um, you know having it located here in um, in South Australia. And uh, the great thing about space is, I think it is something that. All kids are at one stage or another of their life interested in. And it's it, our
1: last frontier. Well, it? it's
2: our last frontier, and it crosses gender. You know, for some people, you know, the high tech. You know, I love defence, I love aeroplanes and all that, but not all people want to go into the military. Um, and you know, there's some great technology there, but some people may not be comfortable with um, service and defence and all sorts of things like that. And I understand that. But, you know, space is the great unifier. You know, it is, it is something that, you know, we all look up at the stars. We all dream about what would it be like to be there. Um, and uh, I think in terms of just getting kids involved in STEM um, and, you know, particularly getting girls and boys involved in STEM, we still have an issue with we've got to get more girls involved in STEM uh, and into um, things like engineering. I think it's such a great motivator and such a great inspiration to help, help us achieve that.
1: So space is important from an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial perspective but also from an educational perspective.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And for, and for all our other industries that rely on engineering, I, I am concerned that we've got the balance uh, wrong in Australia, um, that we've lost emphasis on STEM. And, and STEM, of course. Science, technology, engineering and mathematics. I am worried that, you know, I, we need a broad cross-section of professions. You know, we need obviously doctors, we need accountants, we need lawyers, but we need engineers and scientists because it's going to be the engineers and scientists that solve problems of global warming, they solve problems of security, they solve problems of water, they solve problems of food, you know, they solve many of those problems that the world is um, being confronted with now. And I think if Australia is going to take a lead, in many of those uh, those areas, and many of those technologies, and all sorts of things like that, we have to have a well-educated uh, population with skills in those those STEM areas.
1: STEM areas and the entrepreneurial mindset
2: to actually commercialise them as well. So yeah. we need both, and um, also you know.
1: perhaps the social skills to connect.
2: Yeah, um, and I think yeah you know, that's an in, that's an important part of it. And you know there are there are jokes about engineers. You know, like how do you tell a Extroverted engineer, and it's because he'll look at the other person's shoes. Um, so we we have those challenges, and I was one of those people. I you know, I know people have never heard of a shy fighter pilot, but before I was a fighter pilot, I was quite shy, and you know, I was very technically focused. I was a super nerd. You know, my favourite shows even nowadays are Big Bang Theory and Star Trek. But you know, we we need to get people have got a bit of entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, Together, we've got to commercialise ideas, we've got to create networks and organisations and that needs social skills and that needs leadership and all those sorts of things and that's what we are trying to create. It's one of the strengths of Adelaide um, as a small city and uh, and that, that strength is that, you know, we're big enough that you can get stuff done and that you can, you know, get something built or designed or do something like that. But it's also small enough enough that it is one or two degrees of separation. We should be able to get together and and meet people and do things. And one of the things that surprised me when I get in the job, and I regard myself as reasonably well-connected around Adelaide and I get out and about and, um, you know, meet lots of people, which I really, really enjoy. But one of the things that surprised me is when I was talking to some of these companies that are are starting up and doing some really world-class stuff, like world-class, you know, with world-class technologies, with all all sorts of stuff, that, you know, you know, their connections are not as great as they should be. And, you know, 500 metres down the road is a potential customer they don't know about. You know, a kilometre that way is a potential collaborator they don't know about. You know, 300 metres that way is a potential supplier they don't know about. And I think a lot of us is, uh, we've got to get the networks together, we've got to get people mixing and being inspired by each other and feeling there's a comfort zone. Because being an entrepreneur is lonely. like, when you start a business, it's actually pretty lonely. Yeah. Now, I was really fortunate in the support I got from my wife, Melinda, um, who had been in business herself and, you know, she she dragged me through um, a lot of the hard things And my business partner, Pete Nikolov. You know, we had our own little support now, but for a lot of entrepreneurs, there is no one. And I think when you're doing that job, just having people who are like-minded, who are going through the same challenges uh, is a really, really positive thing. And that's why we're doing things like Lot 14. It's why we've got things like Tonsley, um, you know, other places, whether it's in Wyala or Mount Gambier or whatever, But, uh, you know, where people can go and talk and commercialise and and do great things.
1: And I think you've you've also mentioned that having some of the best beer and wine in Australia doesn't hurt.
2: One of the things that we'll be going into the entrepreneurship and innovation centre will be a brewery. I don't think you can socialise without some sort of social lubricant.
1: Tell us about that uh, centre.
2: Sure. So, lot 14, seven hectares in the middle of the CBD, will arguably be the old brass site um, on the corner of North Terrace and Frame Road, will, uh, right next to Botanic Gardens. You know, prime bit of real estate. Beautiful, um, beautiful piece of real estate, literally, you know, 200 metres from where we are here. Will arguably be the largest entrepreneurial neighbourhood in the Southern Hemisphere. And the government, through, you know, state government, Premier Marshall, through, you know, um, some funding from the city's deal, Half a billion dollars going into the development of, of that site to make it, you know, I think probably the the major entrepreneurial precinct in in Australia, uh, or neighbourhood in Australia, and as I say, arguably the the largest entrepreneurial neighbourhood in. Uh, the southern hemisphere, part of a larger entrepreneurial ecosystem, which covers the whole state, and my responsibility goes all over the, the state, from Sojourner to Mount Gambia to uh, Cooper Pity. So we want the regions involved in all this sort of stuff. And I, so sit, for you're example, you're
1: talking serious connectivity,
2: absolutely, absolutely, and you know serious opportunity too, serious yeah. opportunity. You know, when you talk about space, you know, people say, "Oh, space is just putting stuff up there," and but it's not. It's also it's ag tech. You know, a lot of ag tech. Innovation is based on uh, is based on space technologies. Whether it's you know satellite navigation, whether it's timing, whether it's communication systems. You know we've already got some great stories of South Australian companies. For example, like you know Marietta, like Fleet, like Innovore, who are building satellites, and they are building sp- satellites that are going to specifically support things like um, agriculture. Forestry using, you know, um, communication systems that are very economical that will allow people to use, you know, whole lots of sensors. This is the whole Internet of Things thing. So a farmer, for example, instead of having to jump on a motorbike or a car and drive four hours to check the water level on a in a tank. Mm-hmm where, you know, cattle or sheep are, literally will just get a activation on his smartphone saying, hey, the water level is going down or it's right where it needs to be because there will be a little very, very cheap sensor that's going to send a signal to a low-Earth observation, a low-Earth uh, orbit satellite with, um, you know, very cheap communications data and say, hey, I guess water levels are all good, sleep in this morning.
1: And I guess um, probably the fires.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, it's those natural disasters where the communications, where, you know, the ability, for example, to use thermal imaging from space to see where there are hot spots and potential areas that, uh, you know, could cause, you know, more fires uh, are going to be applicable. And it's also, you know, every one of us is using space in a, one way or another. You know, I'm sure we've all got a smartphone and how many of you have used Google Maps to navigate your way around. And, you know, for those people, for example, using the Alert SA map in the fires, you know, you are using space because the GPS in your phone, that's giving you a location telling you there is a fire 500 metres away and you need to get out. You know, that is saving people's lives.
1: We still, though, need to strengthen community awareness, don't we, of entrepreneurship?
2: You know, we've got a a strategy called FIX, which is Future Industries Exchange for Entrepreneurs and there's four components to that strategy and they are to inspire, um, equip, enable and celebrate. And the inspire stuff is just getting people thinking about it. You know, we don't have a strong history of entrepreneurship in Australia. We've got a strong history of innovation. But, you know, people that are in business tend to keep a bit of a lower profile. So the
1: the innovations coming up with a good idea. Yeah. The entrepreneurship is commercialising uh, it turning and bringing into, bucks back to our state.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And then putting those bucks back into new innovations and new ideas. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it becomes upward. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, world domination. And we'll get, we'll get back to world domination in a moment. So the inspired part, the equip is making sure that they've got the skills. So the innovator, you know, the, whether it's a young kid who's, you know, um, you know developed a, uh, a program to help help uh, her mates with some homework, you know, has thinking about, well, you know, she might be giving them out. Well, how about I charge 50 cents a piece and if I get that 50 cents a piece, I might be able to afford to put that on the app store or do this or do a bit more development. So, you know, doing it from, you know, kids literally in primary school, uh, it could be, you know, your typical master's PhD out of one of the universities in biotech or engineering that's come up with a really good idea um, or development and, uh, you know, getting them the skills to go and commercialise it or it's could be a retired welder from ASC who's decided that, you know, I really loved making stuff and I'm going to make the world's best barbecues and export them from, from Adelaide. But those people might have been working in an environment where they don't know about business. They don't know how to write a business plan. They don't so know. how
1: do they plug into what you're offering? They
2: ring our office and they get involved and they come and see and we run seminars and we say, right, you know, for um, you know that young primary school kid, we're going to actually talk to your parents and say, hey, one of our five entrepreneurial high schools, how about we start targeting you at going to one of those entrepreneurial high schools so we start to develop that, so that you're, passion. So you're
1: infinitely accessible.
2: Absolutely we are. You know, that we've got an office of ten. Um, and, you know, we are all about facilitating, you know. We're, we've got some money to help support stuff, but what we are about doing is networking and putting people with the right people and the right connections. So, you know, if it's the world from ASC, we might say, hey, you know what, there's some really, really good courses, short courses at University of South Australia or University of Adelaide or Flinders or TAFE on starting up a business. There might be, you know, some local government organisations are doing stuff. Go and talk to these guys and girls, and see if uh, if they can help you with a short course about helping to write a business plan. Maybe setting someone up with a mentor or someone that's been in business, and just connecting people so that they can turn that passion, that great idea, into a commercial outcome. And you know, for the for the the people that have got a masters or a PhD, maybe it's going to go and do an MBA. Maybe it's going to do a you know a, a short course overseas or somewhere else. These are the sorts of things you want to do. Um, so equipping them with the skills, the enable part is just making sure we've got an environment. the environment. The environment is, you know, a positive political environment. It's really nice to say that I'm, I deal across politics. Um, and uh, what I've been really, really proud of as a South Australian is that uh, on the um, on the on the Labor side of politics, I've got a lot of support, and I think you know they're positive about what we're trying to do. You know, I've got obviously good support on the the liberal side of politics. and I hope across the board we can create an organization that is valued across the political spectrum. So it's business and entrepreneurship uh, contributing economically, but also contributing to the community. But the other part of it is, as I say, the and this goes back to the whole concept of um, you know, um how do we make entrepreneurship more accessible and more acceptable and 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 to to have an engagement and support from the community, because I think largely, Australians can be a little bit suspicious about people making money or in business, but but we want those we want that entrepreneurship to engage with the community. We want people as part of their businesses that they're starting to have elements of social responsibility, to think about sustainability, to think about impact, to think about, you know, what is the positive effect I can have on the community. And I think if we build that and that is that becomes a South Australian and an Australian form of entrepreneurship. I think the community will support
1: us. So it's our own South Australian brand of entrepreneurship. I hope so. Yeah, that's it's, certainly it's what we're It's not just to about self. It's about. Feeding back into community. Absolutely.
2: absolutely, And and for our kids and for our generation. So, you know, we'll go back to space, for example. If we build some great space companies, for example, you know, my son Oscar who might want to go and be involved in space at one stage is not going to come to me at the end of his degree and say, Dad, oh, look, I really want to get involved in some space stuff. I think I'll probably have to move to the United States or move to Europe. It'll be like, hey, guess what, Dad? There's a whole lot of stuff going on here. I'm going to stay right here in Adelaide and uh, build a global company or be part of a global organisation that lives and works in Adelaide and so South it's, Australia more generally.
1: That's a very captivating picture. Before I get you onto world domination, can I spin you back sure. to something of do we need to be a bit more desperate? Because the other story you had, which is a wonderful story of, uh, I think it was your father, yep. of that nobody innovates in paradise.
2: It's a really interesting story because I think it's a really good story uh, of Australian innovation and what we can do when we are required to. So December 7, 1941, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbour and Australia had no fighters. We had um, P-40 Kittyhawks on order from the Americans and after the attack on Pearl Harbour, not unreasonably the Americans say, really sorry, but we need those aircraft. So
1: we, we had nothing that could fly?
2: We had We had training aircraft. We did not have any fighter aircraft. And the Japanese were coming down the Malay Peninsula and, you know, into New Guinea and um, Australia was really uh, under threat. You know, Singapore fell. um, So things were were not looking good. So December 7, 1941, Japanese attacked Pearl Harbour. The Australian government went to the Commonwealth Aircraft Corporation based at Fisherman's Bend in Victoria and said, hey, we need a fighter. You know, can you do anything? And they said, oh, we don't know. And they said, well, think about it quickly. And they met in January of 1942, literally four weeks later, and uh, the Commonwealth Aircraft Corporation said, look, we think we can do something. We've got this engine that we're building under licence, you know, large 27-litre radial engine. Um, uh, so we've got an engine, but we think we can design something and build it. And the Commonwealth said, go ahead. Uh, government said, go ahead, and, uh, and they did. And uh, basically that aircraft flew in May of 1942. So from build-a-fighter to first flight was less than five months. Now, if you're a student of industrial history, there were probably you know um, less than a dozen nations in the world that could let, design a fighter aircraft, um, possibly build it um, to do it in that sort of time. And we were a colony of the United Kingdom, you know, um, a bit of an, a, a colonial outpost. And when we were faced with a real existential threat to our existence, um, we stepped up and we did something that was absolutely incredible in the context of its time. It was like building a satellite or a space shuttle. And you know, we had that technical know-how, we had that organisational know-how. This is one of the problems we have is we don't have any really significant Australian engineering and technology companies anymore. We had that capability. Uh, you know, We were the fourth nation in the world to put a satellite into orbit in 1967. All that know-how, all that expertise, I think, uh, has not all disappeared, but a lot of it's gone. And I believe we need to take back our place as a a technology leader in the world. And I think things like the Space Agency, I hope, are the start of that resurgence and the start of us getting our rightful place back.
1: Which is a perfect segue. Thank Mm. you so much. Because one of your often quoted phrases is, you're out for world domination to change the world. How do we
2: do it? Well, Nova Systems, uh, you know, uh, my organisation, I'm not sure we put it on the website, but if you talk to anyone who works with me in Nova that – uh, we use the term world domination, and, and um, whilst it's half joking, it's half serious as well. Okay. And I, you know, my view is that um, we should be cre- creating great Australian technology companies to not only solve our own problems, but to solve other nations' problems. And uh, achieving world domination will allow us to basically, when I say world domination. Um, getting that, getting to that global level of leadership in technology and engineering and science and all those sorts of things and solving those problems I think will help Australia be seen as a serious player, global player in the world, more than we are now. Uh, I think it will allow us to do serious good in the world and I think it will allow Australians to be very, very proud and even more proud of their nation and what we do and, and to look after Australia's national interests and... Uh, and, and maintain our sovereign capabilities, and you know, to to maintain and improve the lifestyle for us and uh, for our children, and, and hopefully have a positive impact so on the rest got, of the world. We've got
1: the political will. Hmm. How do we attract more funds here? I mean, how do we open up some of the Adelaide bank accounts?
2: Sure, A no, really good question. So, um, you know, entrepreneurship, you know, innovation plus commercialisation equals entrepreneurship. And the other thing that we need is cash and money. So we've got to build a really strong investor community and. That's a large piece of the work we're doing at the moment. So, as an example, you know, um, Australia has about two point three trillion dollars in uh, in superannuation, um, and I think that puts us, you know, I think we're in the top four, you know, well, you know, superannuation pension funds in the world, you know, far above where we exist in terms of population or or GDP uh, rating. I I think. Some of that money, not not all of it, you know, that's there to look after people's pensions, but I'd like to see some of that money going into the startup community, going into scaling businesses up um, and growing those businesses. If you go to places like the US, if you go to places uh, like Europe, there are there is significant um, funds available for companies to start up and grow. We have a real issue here in, in, in Australia particularly, well, sorry, in South Australia particularly we have a real issue because a lot of that, that that wealth and a lot of those funds are concentrated on the East Coast and particularly in Sydney and Melbourne. Now, South Australia was founded on a basis of entrepreneurship. We are have been a very, very wealthy state and there are some you know, there are wealthy institutions, there are wealthy families in South Australia. And I'd like to see many of those institutions and those families looking in their own backyard and saying, Hey, you know, um this money I need to get a positive return on, obviously. Mm-hmm. But if I've got a choice of, you know, a six percent return from something that's in the, you know, the US or Asia or Europe, or I can get a six percent return from my own state, you know, at the same sort of risk level, how about I choose my own state and support, you know, business and entrepreneurialism in our state, and maybe give my kids uh, a future here?
1: Sounds excellent. Where do people find that financial front door?
2: So the financial front door is through our office in part. So we'll, we'll put people towards, you know, whether it's the South Australian Venture Capital Fund, we can put them in contact with some of the banks who are looking at um, business loans. We've got a um, research commercialisation and startup fund, which has got about $28 million, which will help uh, companies start up if they've got some ideas and companies that need some support to go and do some other things. There are some, some funds available there. You know, we are getting VC venture capital, we're getting private equity, we're trying to get them into South Australia to start looking at opportunities and building a uh, an investment industry here. And there's two things that will happen here and I want that industry to have a global outlook. So I want venture capital firms based in South Australia to be looking out at investment opportunities not only in South Australia but in the East Coast, overseas and all that sort of stuff and by raising the quality of those, uh, those investment firms, whether it's venture capital, whether it's private equity, Etc. Um, I think that will raise the level and skill of our entrepreneurs because they will be exposed to world-class investment strategies and that will help lift their game.
1: And their opportunities.
2: And, and this is part of the reason, for example, we've got the five entrepreneurial high schools. Along with that, we're also rolling out entrepreneurial programs within the uh, – uh, within the, the school system here, across the Catholic schools, across the, the government schools, across the private schools, so including in, in safe subjects and, you know, elements of entrepreneurship within business courses and, and other areas like that.
1: So you're changing the fabric of the city?
2: Well, we, we're trying to. We're trying to change the fabric of South Australia, you know, so this goes across the board. Now, you know, Adelaide is a big part of that because, you know, we've got 1.8 million odd people in the state. We've got 1.4 million in Adelaide, so this will be a, a significant part of it. But, yeah, I guess we are, you know. And, you know, we, we do, you know, South Australia is fantastic. I've just been, you know, over on the York Peninsula for uh, for a week for my holidays, you know. It's one of the, the most beautiful places in the world down there. But, you know, Adelaide, you know, we're regularly on the te- top 10 most livable cities in the world along with, you know, a few other Australian cities as well. I travel all over the place uh, internationally. I think we, we live in the best small city in the world. You know, we've got... Great wine. We've got great food. You know, we've got arts. You know, we've got the Adelaide Festival. We've got the Adelaide Fringe. We've got MoM Adelaide. We've got a whole lot of other things. You know, you can have a coastal lifestyle. You can have a you know a suburban lifestyle with a you know a house with a decent sized garden. You can have a, a city apartment lifestyle. You can live in the Adelaide Hills. I live in the Adelaide Hills mm-hmm. on you know property with some sheep and some cattle. And it takes me, I drive down to work at Lot Fourteen this morning. It took me you know twenty three minutes to get from you know Krafers, where I live. Longer than to, it would have taken you terrace. to
1: fly from Melbourne to do the uh, the fly past the Grand Prix.
2: Absolutely, well, not quite. It was about the same time, uh, but um, you know we have got such a great opportunity here. Um, you know we're, we're accessible. You know to get to the airport's easy. You know um, life is good. And you know, for for people in technology, we've got great institutions. You know, you can have a lifestyle here in this city and in this state that is second to none, and it will not cost you what it costs to live in Melbourne or live in Sydney. And you know, if you're going to get the same equivalent of housing, for example, in Sydney, you're going to have to live probably about two hours from the middle of the CBD.
1: And that's an unhealthy commute. It is an day.
2: unhealthy commute, and it's a waste of your time, and it's unpleasant. And it's like, you know, how good is it here?
1: Two last questions. Sure, sure. First one is: you've also said it's very important to give people a safe space to fail. Absolutely. How do we do that? Because entrepreneurship is not easy. It's not e. It's not linear, and it's lonely. So, how, how does your office help that?
2: So, number one, it's I talked before about creating a safe space and you know a place where people uh, are encouraged. So. You know, being with other entrepreneurs and seeing other entrepreneurs make mistakes and feeling you're not the only one there, I think, is part of it. And I, you know, when we talk about failure, I prefer uh, I prefer to talk about having a go. So I use a, a bit of a, I'll call this a, a flight test analogy. But you know, when you are testing a new aeroplane or testing a new piece of equipment, failure is dying. Prefer not to do that. You want to test things and experiment and learn from different things and improve as you do it. So. I want to create a space where people feel that they can experiment. They don't have to succeed but learn oh, from their mistakes and not have them be fatal mistakes. It's a safe place to have a go. And it's like the old Edison um, uh, saying that, you know, I've never failed. I've just tried 10,000 ways that didn't work. And I think we've got to, you know, create that sort of um, attitude. And, you know, creating success is about experimentation and trying different things uh, and hoping they work. And when they don't work, it's like, all right, well, I'll just learn from that. How can I do a bit better? That's true of test flying an aeroplane. It's true of test flying a business. And when I started my own organisation, it literally was, right, I'm a test pilot and I'm going to run this like a test pilot. This is going to be an experiment. You know, I don't know a lot about it but we're going to go off in the wild blue yonder and um, and see what we can learn.
1: And you didn't have uh, the entrepreneurial office behind you.
2: I didn't, and it's but even easier now. So you know, the great part is all those entrepreneurs in South Australia will be able to come up to people like Jim Wally and others and say, "Tell us all, tell us all about your screw ups, and we can tell them about them, and say, don't make the same mistakes I made." And you know, that's the old wisdom versus experience. Experience is learning from your own mistake, and wisdom is learning from the mistakes or screw ups of others. So we all, and we we're all here, need
1: both, and we've got you. What's in the new decade for Jim Waller?
2: I don't know. I've got a, I've got another year in this job. Um, hopefully, I won't be sacked for incompetence. And uh, but you know, there's lots of exciting things. I you know, I sit on a few boards. I'm on the board of the Adelaide Festival. I'm on the council of UNISA, which I I love doing. I'm on the board of Australian Naval Infrastructure. Uh, I sit on a thing called the Sir Ross and Keith Smith Foundation. We've just had the hundredth anniversary of Sir Ross and Keith Smith. Flying from London to Australia, which is in itself a great South Australian achievement, great example of South Australian. Risk-taking entrepreneurship and spirit um, and, spirit and fan, you know, just a fabulous, fabulous story. Um, you know, we've got other people like Sir Hubert Wilkins, which, you know, many of you have probably not heard of, but what can I say? I'm a huge
1: fan.
2: Yeah. Uh, Sir Hubert Wilkins, absolute legend. I think we've got some anniversaries coming up with Sir Hubert Wilkins. Uh, well, this the year museum well.
1: are making more of him yeah. now rather than just more um, awesome.
2: Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So um, Wilkins was, a again, an absolute, you know, like if you wrote a book about it, you'd assume it was fiction because of the stories but it's all true um, and in my own organization we actually have the uh, the wilkins room as our as our main boardroom so a great Australian great South Australian hero and uh, an entrepreneur so I think um, you know I, I'm looking forward to continuing to contribute to the state South Australia has been enormously good to me and you know I regard as a as a foreigner um, I feel even uh, even more uh, grateful for um, for that acceptance and I hope I can continue to uh, contribute and 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 help make South Australia a uh, uh, great, and do uh, do fabulous things, and create a great legacy for our for our kids and future generations.
1: That's wonderful. Thank you very much.
2: Great to be here. Thank you.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Adelaide Living Podcast, which is brought to you by the City of Adelaide discover more stories about people, places and projects having a meaningful impact on our city by subscribing to this podcast or visiting the Adelaide Living website at living.cityofadelaide.com.au.